Businesses have learned the hard way that asking people what they want is not a very effective strategy. If you ask people about what kind of products they're interested in, what they tell you oftentimes is very different from what they would actually buy. It's not that people are intentionally misleading or being dishonest. It's just that they have good intentions and their good intentions often aren't reflected in what they actually purchase. So a classic example of this in the business world is in the early 1990s when McDonald's added a healthy cheeseburger option to their menu. I don't know if you remember this, but for years they had received customer feedback saying, hey, if you just had a healthy cheeseburger, that's what I would order. If you could just create in your science labs some kind of healthy cheeseburger option, that's, that's what I want. And so they had all kinds of surveys backing up that this is what the people wanted. And they finally, in 1991, added a healthy cheeseburger option, a, a healthy sandwich option to their uh, menu. Anybody remember the name of this sandwich? McLean. Yeah, the McLean sandwich. You remember this? It didn't last long, but um, it later became known as the McFlopper. Because people said this is what they wanted, but when it actually came time to order, they stuck with the Big Mac. It it was a sandwich that was 91% fat-free. It was um, uh, held together with, true story, extract from seaweed. And yet, shockingly, it's not what people actually ate. It's not what they ordered. They said they wanted it, but then what they did didn't match up with what what they had good intentions of doing. So there are a lot of examples like this, and as a result, companies um, are getting further away from using survey-based data, and they are relying much more heavily on behavior-based data. What are people actually buying? They're not asking them to tell them what they want. They're looking at what they are actually purchasing when they're determining direction for the company or getting ready to launch a new product. Because there's an understanding that even if our intentions are good, it doesn't necessarily translate into intentionality. It doesn't translate into action. And that's what we've been talking about the last number of weeks. We've talked about this term in psychology that um, identifies this human phenomenon all of us have where we often live between the intention and and action gap. That this is the space that many of us live out our lives. We have these intentions of who we want to be, of how we're going to live, of the kind of relationship we're going to have, of the way we're going to deal with our finances. We have this these intentions spiritually about our relationship with God and being a person of prayer and reading the Bible and going to church. We have these intentions and yet it doesn't always translate into action. And we end up living our lives in this gap between our good intentions and intentionality. I read an article by uh, Kenneth Woodward of Newsweek magazine where he studied all kinds of surveys and then he compared the data in those surveys with the actual lives of the people. And um, the title of the article was Provocative new new surveys reveal a nation where most claim to be religious, but few take their faith seriously. And the article opens up this way. Sociologists have long puzzled over surveys that show that the United States is the most religious nation in the advanced industrial West when asked more than 90% of Americans profess a belief in God. So this is confusing to sociologists because 90% or so of people in the United States say, yes, I have a faith, I believe in God, and yet... If you take a hundred people 
and 50 of them have faith in God and 50 of them don't have faith in God and you try to decide which was which based on their lifestyle, based on their behavior, it, you would, it would be an impossible task. It, you, you couldn't do it. Now you could separate them based on their intentions, but you couldn't separate them based on, on their actions. And so there is this disconnect where we have intentions of who we want to be and the life we want to live. But when it comes time to order, we step up and go with the Big Mac. And so we have these intentions, and yet we want to be more intentional. And uh, we've been, over the last number of weeks, studying the life of King Josiah. We're in week three as we wrap up this series. And 2 Kings 22 is where we've been studying. We're going to be in 2 Kings 23 today as we wrap up uh, our study on the life of Josiah. Josiah was this king who was intentional. He was intentional with the opportunities that God had given him. He was intentional in his leadership as a king. The Bible says that he didn't look to the right or to the left. He stayed focused on what God had called him to do. And at the end of his life, we read in 2 Kings 23, verse 25, that neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him. There had never been a king like him before or after who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart, with all his soul, and with all of his strength. And this is the intentional living that we, we want to mark us. That we don't just talk about these things. We don't just come to church and discuss these things or take some notes and then go on our way. But that we turn to the Lord with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with, with all of our strength. And Josiah sets an example for us in this. Last week, we saw that when the word of the Lord was read to him, that he, he repented. The Bible says that he, he tore his clothes and grief as he recognized that his life and the nation was out of alignment with what God had said. And so we, we talked about just having a responsive heart and humbling ourselves and, and repenting. We have a tendency, though, that when we are under God's conviction, to respond to God's conviction with good intention. And then we feel okay. Even though we haven't actually done anything, it settles down our conviction because we have intention of doing something sometime. Um, there's another term in psychology that kind of explains this phenomenon. It's called the fundamental attribution error. And, and how this works is that we look at someone else's life and changes that they need to make, areas that need to be addressed in their life, and, and we kind of hold them accountable to it. We, we don't necessarily accept circumstances or look at mitigating circumstances. And we just We know they need to change and that they should change. But when it comes to our own lives... That we know all the background. You know, we, we know the good intentions we have. And we know the example that was set or the example that wasn't set. And we know the challenges that keep us from being who we want to be or being obedient to God in the way that we know we should be. And so we let ourselves off the hook for it. We hold other people to it, but we, we let ourselves off the hook. And so what we're discovering is that moving from good intentions to being intentional means that we, we stop blaming other people. We stop justifying by pointing to circumstances. We take responsibility the way Josiah did. We have responsive hearts. We humble ourselves. We repent of our sin. What a lot of us do, and, and I find myself doing this often, is I, I have conviction and I want to move to action without first repenting of my inaction, without first being broken over what has come uh, to the surface because I haven't been intentional. And if the action is going to last, we need to take the time to repent. And as Josiah did, um, 
to humble ourselves before the Lord. And so in 2 Kings 22, we left off last week where he asked people to pray for him and to seek what God would have him do next because he, he knows he wants to be intentional. And so this is what we read in 2 Kings 23. Here's what he does next, starting in verse 1. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the prophets and all the people from the least to the greatest. And there the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. And the king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all the commandments, the laws, and decrees with all his heart and soul. And this way he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll. And all the people pledged themselves to do the same. They all pledged themselves to the covenant. And so here, here's what we see with uh, Josiah. is he, he gets up in front of the people and he reads the, the law to them. He reads the word of the Lord to them. And to close the gap between our intention and action, that we we have to understand the power of God's word and we have to read it for ourselves. That seems basic. And maybe that's what you'd expect me to say. I mean, you're in church. Of course, the preacher's going to say it. But have you tried this? Have you tried to read God's word for yourself? Where you, you open it up and you just begin to study and meditate on it and align your life with it? See, Josiah had a profound respect for what God had said. It had been lost. The word of the Lord had been lost for a long time. We saw last week that they found it buried in the temple. And when he finds it, he doesn't treat it as irrelevant and outdated. He doesn't say, well, you know what? This was written a long time ago. And our culture has changed so much that it really doesn't apply to the world we live in. No, he reads God's word and he, he, looks, at God's, he looks at the culture through the word of God. And says, look, things need to align to what, what God has said. And so he stands in front of the people and he honors this as their new standard. And, and so he takes the word of the Lord seriously. Um, we saw the personal response last week where he tore his clothes and he, he repented. It was, it was a private response. And it's interesting. This week I was reading about Josiah's son who would be the next king. His name is Jehoiakim, King Jehoiakim. And even though Josiah followed the Lord with all of his heart and soul and strength, even though there had never been a king like him before or after, Jehoiakim, his son, did not follow the path of his father. In fact, Jehoiakim rejected the ways of God, rejected the word of the Lord and went his own way. And it's a humbling thing if you read that as a parent, because here's a king who followed the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. There had never been another king like him, and yet the son didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so we read in Jeremiah 36 this moment in King Jehoiakim's reign where the word of the Lord is being read to him. Now his father, Josiah, when the word of the Lord was read, his heart was responsive, and Josiah tore his clothes and he repented. But when King Jehoiakim has the word of the Lord read to him, he doesn't, doesn't like what it says. It's an indictment on his life. He doesn't want to hear it anymore. So he stops it from being read. He cuts it up into pieces and he throws it on the fire. And Jeremiah chapter 36 verse 24 says, King Jehoiakim and all his attendants who heard all these words, the word of the Lord, they showed no fear and they didn't tear their clothes. And so you see a very different personal response to the word of the Lord. And... Jeremiah says they should have feared. They should have been grieved. 
They should have taken it seriously, but they didn't. And Jesus said, look, the wise man is the man who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice and applies them, aligns his or her life to them. And this is an obstacle for me when it comes to intentional living. I, I read a lot. I love to read. I read the Bible a lot. That if I were being honest with you, I would say my heart is not always responsive. That I don't always have the right respect and fear of the Lord as I study the scriptures that I know I need to have. That it becomes um, a little too familiar if I'm not careful. It's, it's hard for me to focus. Like this is the way I'm wired. I kind of accept that. I, I, I can read a lot, but I, I don't necessarily meditate on it and I'm not necessarily mindful of it as the, in the way that I should be. I, I struggled with this my whole life. Like growing up, um, if you read my report cards from grade school, you know, my teachers didn't care for me much. And it was true in high school as well. And in, in college, my professors were frustrated because it, it, it always seemed like I wasn't paying attention. Uh, and I would just, I, I just couldn't sit still. I would play with everything on my desk. I would just, I would break things, pins all broke ink all over me. I mean, it was just, it was just, my life, right? And um, my mom tried hard to get me to, especially in church, she tried hard to get me to, to be respectful of God's word when it's being read or being taught. I, I have these memories of going to Sunday night church and, and sitting next to my mom. And, um, and I was too old to lie down on the pew and eat Cheerios. Um, she's <laughs> like, if you're going to drive here, you need to sit up and listen. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> And, and so um, my mom would try to get me to pay attention in church. And, and my mom had this crazy ability. She could sit and listen to a sermon with this very pleasant and attentive look on her face. It was a slight smile. She nods in agreement. She takes notes. And yet I'm fidgeting over here. And she would, she would um, reach over and she'd pinch the underside of my thigh. And... And never break a stride. And she was just a, she was just a master at this. She could pinch so hard, just the right amount of pressure so that when I would scream, nothing would come out. I mean, she didn't want it to be a distraction. She knew she had to go hardcore enough that I wouldn't yell. It had to, and yet she didn't want to break skin and create a mess. Uh, so, and so my mom, you know, from a young age was trying to get me to pay attention and to listen and, and, um, it was a struggle then. It, it's, it's a struggle now. And I, I know that I have to eliminate distractions. I, I know that I can't just study God's word to preach it and teach it. I know that if I don't journal, I don't take time to align my life with it, that I'm, I'm going to be in danger of, of missing out on the, the power of God's word in my life. And, and so Josiah sets for us an example. He reads it to the people, and then he, he says, this is what we're going to be committed to, y'all. We're going to align our lives with this. And you may not like it, and it might be uncomfortable. You might not agree with everything. It's going to require some changes that, that you don't want to see happen. But this is going to be the new standard. And so here's what I want you to see. The next thing he does here is, is he goes public with his conviction and his commitment. And I would just challenge some of you with this. If you have been living in the gap between intention and action, then maybe it's time to go public with the conviction and the commitment that you need to make. You don't just, in private, respond to God's word, but you get up in front of some people. Now, for Josiah, he's the king, so he stands in front of the nation. For you, it may be in your workplace, letting some things be known, that you are convicted and you are committed. Maybe it's in your own home, 
saying, I am convicted and I am, I am committed. I'm going to do some things differently. And maybe it's with some friends, some, some old high school friends. And, and it's just time for you to say, hey, I am convicted and I, I am committed. Things are going to be different for me. And you put it out there. There's something powerful about it. I, uh, a number of months ago, I, I spoke to um, our, uh, our man challenge group, which is a, a group of men uh, that was meeting early on Thursday morning. And they, uh, hundreds of them come, but they, they uh, sit in groups uh, at different tables. And, and so I, I was talking about this subject, about being intentional as a, a spiritual leader, specifically in, in our homes as fathers and husbands. And one of the guys sent me a message about a month later explaining that he was determined to do some things different and to be more intentional. He even wrote down some things that needed to change, but he went back home and he just, you know, he just found himself within a few days of the normal routine of just kind of passively experiencing each day and he'd, he'd go to work. He was very intentional at work and with his meetings, but then he'd go home and not, not intentional really at all. And he was, he was frustrated because for so long this had described him where he, he truly had intentions to be the man God had called him to be, but he just, he just struggled with consistency. And so he, he said to me that uh, in his message that he went back the next week and he decided he was going to tell the table of guys and so he, he told them about his conviction and his commitment, about how he had been passive and he was committing himself to be more intentional. And he said that made a huge difference for him, just going public with it. And that there were a few other guys around the table who said, me too, that's me, that's me too. I'm convicted and I know I need to make that commitment. And they started helping each other, texting each other, encouraging each other, providing some accountability. And if you're struggling with closing the gap between intention and action, then I would ask you to think about whether or not this is something you need to do. Because that's a journey you are not to make alone. We, we need each other. So one of the reasons why like Weight Watchers or AA can be so effective is that you're, you're inviting other people with you on the journey. Uh, that's a part of what happens every week when we see baptisms. It's, it, baptism is very much a way of going public with conviction and with commitment. You're saying things are going to be different. As you read through uh, Josiah's story in Second Kings, you find that, that most of the space in the story is really about, oh, dealing with idolatry. It's, it's really about getting rid of the false gods. And when I first read the story, I found myself kind of skipping through that. I didn't understand, you know, some of the gods, false gods that they worshipped. And it just didn't seem very relevant to me. I, you know, this doesn't really describe us as a culture. And, and uh, yet if you read through Second Kings, I mean, he just goes to great lengths to get rid of the idols. He, he goes into um, incredible detail to make sure that this is, is dealt with takes it very seriously. My guess is as he read the word of the Lord, he realized this is a big deal to God. It needs to be a big deal to me. The first two of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before you. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. He looks around and he's surrounded by false gods. He's surrounded by idols. And, and so um, let me just read a number of verses here that describes his intentionality with this, starting in verse 4. It says, Then the king instructed Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second rank and the temple gatekeepers to remove from the Lord's temple all the articles that were used to worship Baal, Asherah, and the powers of the heavens. The king had all these things burned outside Jerusalem on the terraces of the Kidron Valley, and he carried the ashes away to Bethel. 
He did away with the idolatrous priests who had been appointed by the previous kings of Judah, for they had offered sacrifices at the pagan shrines throughout Judah and even in the vicinity of Jerusalem, the holy city. They had, offered, they had also offered sacrifices to Baal and to the sun, the moon, the constellations, and to all the powers of heavens. And so the king removed the Asherah pole from the Lord's temple and took it outside Jerusalem to the Kidron Valley where he burned it. Then he ground the ashes of the pole to dust and he threw the dust in the cemetery over the graves of the people. He also tore down the living quarters of the male and female shrine prostitutes that were inside the temple of the Lord where the women uh, wove coverings for the Asherah pole. And so what you find is... King Josiah just going to great lengths to rid the nation of it. He, he burns them. He takes the ashes, grinds the ashes into dust and throws it in the cemetery. He doesn't just say, hey, guys, throw those idols in the closet. We just kind of need to get rid of those. He, he demolishes them. And, and we read that, and it's like, okay, well, that's nice, but it just, that was an issue then. That doesn't seem like that big of an issue for us today. But I, I would just say to you that this was the primary issue for Josiah and it is the primary issue for us. It is what keeps us from closing the gap between our intentions and being intentional is that we are constantly distracted by false gods. They look different. They, um, they may not be graven images, but everywhere we look, God has competition. There are things and there are people that are fighting for our focus and attention, trying to become the priority in our life, trying to unseat God on the throne of our hearts. Os Guinness puts it this way. He says, idolatry is the most discussed problem in the Bible and one of the most powerful spiritual and intellectual concepts in the believer's arsenal. Yet for Christians today, it's one of the least meaningful notions. And so if we're going to be intentional, if we're going to close the gap, it, it means dealing with these distractions, dealing with the idols that keep us from being the man, the woman that God has called us to be. Um, I spent this past week in Haiti, and um, when I was there, I, I spent some time with my, my good friend and um, a Haitian pastor um, there named Idri, and I always enjoy my time with Idri. It's always very challenging to me, and and uh, we have these conversations where I'm on the back of his little motorcycle <laughs> winding around through the streets of uh, dusty streets of Haiti. And we're, we talk about God and we talk about the calling that God has given us. And, and it's just always very humbling and challenging for me. Um, on the first night we were there on, on Monday night, I, 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 um, I got there and he asked me if I would join him on Tuesday, join him the following day for his daily prayer time. And um, I've spent lots of time with him over the years. He's never asked me to do that before. So, you know, when somebody says, hey, will you join me in my daily prayer time? You just instinctively say yes, right? Like, it seems like the kind of thing you should agree to, especially when you're in Haiti doing mission work. And so I said, yeah, of course. Now, I should have asked some questions before agreeing to, to do this. So um, I said, yeah, of course. And he said, great, I, I'll see you. I'll see you at 4 a.m., and I'm thinking, you know, his, he speaks great English, but something here is getting lost in translation because I thought he said 4 a.m. And I said, did, did you say 4 a.m., Idri? I said, that, bro, that's the, that's the middle of the night, like legit middle of the night. And he said, this is the best time to meet with God. Yeah, I, I get that. But middle of the night. And I said, you know, I've been traveling and I, I need to get some, some rest. 
Adrian. And he says, well, God will give you strength. I, yes, I know. I say these things to other people too. I, I said, well, okay, well, how, how long are we praying? Because in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, you know what? Okay, 30 minutes, I get back in bed, uh, go back to sleep for the day. I, I can do that. And he said, well, we, we'll pray until the sun comes up. All right, let's pretend that I don't know exactly when the sun comes up. So how, how much time are we talking about here? And, and he said, a, a couple hours. And the whole conversation was humbling to me. And, and I didn't do it. I wish I would have. If I had known that I was going to tell you the story, I would have done it. Which tells you a lot about the work that God still has to do in my heart and life. But I, I didn't do it. I came up with some different reasons why it just that wasn't the right thing to do. But, but the truth is, it, it's just idolatry. I mean, they're just things that were more important. I knew God wanted me to do it. I, I knew that I should be intentional with it. I, but um, I started thinking about why, you know, Idri would do it and why I, I wouldn't. And, and I'd say, you know, his life is so much more simple than mine. And, and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have electricity. No, there's no TV in his house. Of course, he goes to bed early. There's, there's no, no lights on. And, and he's not on his phone very often because he's got to make sure it stays charged until he can find some outlet that has power and plug it in. And he doesn't have a car with lots of places to go. And, and so, you know, just a lot of distractions get eliminated. But what are those distractions for me but idols? So I don't get up at 4 a.m. I, I want to. I, I want to pray with my brother. It would have been the right thing to do. I, I felt like God wanted me to do it. I don't do it. You know why? Because I like to sleep. And I like to be comfortable. Now, I would tell you that those things can be idols for me. That I can put my own comfort ahead of what God's called me to do. I think, well, well why, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I wake up and, and do that? Well, because I, I like to stay up late, especially when I'm out of town. I like to read the news on my phone. I catch up on some messages, some texting, leave a few voice memos. So I don't get to bed at the same time. I, I would just tell you that that then... Was an, in that moment, that was an idol for me. Because I'm staying up late, messing with my phone. Instead of going to bed so I can wake up and pray with my brother. And I just start looking at some of those things that I've used to justify my inaction. And I would be honest, I'd have to be honest and say that those things were, were idols. Yeah, while we were there, he and I were having uh, dinner. And, and as we were eating... You know, he asks me, <laughs> he asks me just with complete sincerity, um, but out of the blue, how often do you fast? Um, from time to time. <laughs> how often do you fast, Idri? And he tells me about his regular fasting. And I, I couldn't help but find it ironic that here's somebody who often doesn't have enough food for three meals a day who fasts more intentionally than someone who has plenty of food. And, and these, these things, these comforts and conveniences have a way 
of uh, keeping us from moving from intention to action spiritually. I think that's true for a lot of us. We just don't think of it that way. Like if, if I asked you about your prayer time this past week, I, I know that you're like me. A lot of you have great intentions of that, but you know, increasingly we spend time on our phones. We, on average, we check them about 50 times a day. About 40% of phone users um, report feelings of loss or feelings of incompleteness if they go an hour without their phone. About 30% say that their phone has come between them and their spouse and they recognize that the screen time is affecting the intimacy and depth of connection with their husband or wife. And and if that's true in marriage, then that's certainly going to be true spiritually. So we have these good intentions, but there are some idols. There are some false gods that need to be dealt with. And I would just encourage you to take some drastic action, to put some guardrails up. To just say, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up my life here a little more intentionally so I'm not constantly looking to the left and to the right. Um, if we don't do that, if we're not intentional, then we end up just focusing on whatever's immediate or whatever's urgent. I looked up in my thesaurus, the opposite of intentional is accidental. And I thought, you know, that describes a lot of us. It's not intentional living, it's accidental living. It's not that we're purposely not doing what we should do. It's just that it's accidental. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And so while, while I was in Haiti, we, we landed in the, the Port-au-Prince airport there in the capital, and it's always crazy there. And then we take this small little plane in Port-au-Prince to a town called Jacmel. Now, if you, you drive it, it's like four hours uh, through mountains and but if you, you fly it, it's like 15 minutes. And so we, we take this this little, not like this, but we take this four-seat plane from Port-au-Prince to Jacmel. And it's, you know, it, it, not all the gauges work on it. I'll say that. It's, uh, it's a plane that I would guess is from the 1970s. But the pilot's a great pilot. His name is Roger, which I loved because you get to sit up front and say things like, Roger, Roger. And so I, I sat, I sit up front with him and we're, we're uh, flying and it's kind of a rough flight. It, um, you're going over mountains and there were some pretty good storm clouds and, and there are times when the mountains are higher than your plane, which is, uh, it feels a little off. But we're, we're flying, uh, through there and, uh, and he tells me, this is while we're flying, he tells me about a crash landing the plane a number of months earlier successfully clearly he had four passengers with him and lots of luggage but there was complete engine failure and he points out to me where he had to land the plane crash landed the plane among the conversations that you don't want to have with your pilot while you're midair is the story about crash landing the plane that you're in right like it's just not and so i'm trying to follow up but also in the conversation and so i'm like well did it uh, did you get it fixed <laughs> I, I, i'm not really sure and he said, yeah, I did all the work myself. I, I, I guess that made me feel better. But then he added, you know, you can't get all the to- tools you need in Haiti. But sometimes you just make do. I'm like, okay, all right. Uh, I said, well, did you figure out what happened? What went wrong? And he said, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not sure. But then he said, you know, kind of explained it way by, by just saying, you know, sometimes accidents happen. It didn't make me feel a lot better. But, but we use that phrase, accidents happen, because we're not sure what went wrong and we don't want to feel bad about it. 
We're not sure what we could have done differently, and we want to let ourselves off the hook. And so we'll look back on a relationship, or we'll look back on a decision, or we'll look back on a season of life, and we'll say, well, I didn't mean to, but accidents happen. We, we don't want to feel that conviction. We don't want to feel broken about it. And so we just, we kind of dismiss it and say, well, it wasn't my intention. I didn't set out to have that relationship. I didn't, I didn't sit out, set out to struggle with that addiction. I, but accidents happen. So the thing about accidents is you can be well-intentioned and you can be a good person and, and it's just an accident. And, and I guess to me that would be a tragic way for us um, to look back on our lives is to say, well, I, I had good intentions. I meant well, but, but accidents happen. And so let's be a church with responsive hearts. Let's be a church that commits ourselves to following God's word. Well, let's be more than people with good intentions. Let's be intentional. Let's pray. God, we need help with this, but um, I, I know you meet us in the gap between our intention and our action, and you give us the strength that we don't have on our own. God, I know that, like me, there are a lot of people in this room who have had good intentions, who have meant well, but it hasn't translated. And as a result, there's a lot of brokenness in their relationships, or there's a disconnect from you, and um, it's not what they want, it's not what they wanted, but it's It's happened. And, and so, God, would you allow us today to have responsive hearts, to not just have more good intentions, but to today take a step to be intentional, to, to commit ourselves in front of some other people to doing things differently. God, I know that that takes courage. It, it takes humility. And so, um, Lord, let us, let us have the strength to do that. Lord, we, we don't want to look back on our lives and just say it was an accident, we didn't mean to. Lord, we want to be in, intentional. So would you help us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, um, to live in that today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.